0: Welcome to the 5 o'clock show. It's time for Common Sense. Now, it's Cats and Cosby with John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Standing for truth, justice, and the American way. Bringing common sense to the world. Now, here's John Katzimatides and Rita Cosby.
1: We're back. This is John Katsimatidis. It's Monday. We have a whole week ahead. And boy, we're going to have our hands full of stories uh, in the studio. We have Judge Richard Weinberg, our common sense Democrat, and our common sense Republican former uh, deputy mayor, Rudy Washington, maybe related to George, but we're not sure yet. <laughs> and a special guest <laughs> in our show today, we have Curtis slewa Today is May Day, and nobody knows what the heck May Day means, and, and Curtis is here what what does May Day mean, and what's happening in our city?
2: In the shadow of the university that you went to briefly, and your children went to, and yes, Frank Morano, NYU, right where the arch is in Washington Square Park, hundreds of people marched as they were marching in socialist and communist capitals all over the world, uh, pledging themselves to uh, Karl Marx, Engels, Lenin—not John Lennon or the Beatles, but Vladimir Lenin. And everything that we've associated with socialism and communi- communism. And the most interesting thing is, some of our elected officials in the city were marching arm in arm we in solidarity. Have yes, we have pictures. Well, I,
1: I expect you, Curtis. I mean, you're a good intelligence person. Yes. Get the pictures. Let's see who was marching uh, uh, for pro-socialism.
2: Well, leading the pack, the public advocate, uh, Jumani Williams who actually lives uh, right in Fort Hamilton in the Army base. So here's a guy who hates the military, hates cops, hates prisons, but he lives in the safest place in all of the city. Tiffany Caban, who is the mini-me of AOC, All Out Crazy, and the other socialists who are members of the city council. They were marching with pride. And the irony is, I told John, who's been to Cuba many times, today is considered the biggest day of the year.
3: By the way, we were all in Cuba together, we're I remember. We Cuba That's together. Right. That's right. And you were playing stickball with the Cubans that That's
2: right. And the government today had to announce the cancellation of May Day activities in Havana because there was no gasoline to bring people in from the countryside, <laughs> from Santiago and all the other villages. They have no gasoline there. So they had to cancel May Day activities.
3: That's oh, a, by God. the way, this is par for the course, Curtis. Um, because you got to tell us about the council members that decided they did not support end Jew hatred day.
2: Wow. Is it, can it get any easier than that? Is it a yes vote or a no vote? Unanimous end yes. Jewish hatred. So what's,
1: what's the scoreboard? Who voted for what?
2: Scoreboard was 41 yes, two no, four abstained. And two apparently stayed away. Now
3: you have to tell us who, because that who, how could you vote against this? I mean, that's shocking.
2: Well, it's, you hate Jews, right? So Shahana Hanif, who is from Park Slope, who is the city councilwoman there, was very proud in saying absolutely no. She got up, no. And her sister in solidarity, Sandra Nurse from Bushwick, again said no. And everybody who abstained, they were all from Brooklyn, including Rita Joseph, who represents Jews in Flatbush and Kensington? She's African American, and when she was asked, "Why didn't you just vote in the affirmative?" I didn't have a chance to review the resolution and Jewish Hatred Day. I mean, you say this, and I hope the Jews who are yeah, listening full
3: of here.
1: Crap.
2: <laughs> I, I hope the Jews who are listening here realize uh, uh, abstaining, Joseph has to
1: abstaining, go. abstaining abstaining is. Let me tell you something. Uh, we fifty-one seats are going to be up in this November. We're going to make sure that we're going to have fifty-one good city councilors.
3: We need it. That is unbelievable, unbelievable. But and- can
2: you imagine? Look at the analytics. There are more Jews that live in Brooklyn than any other boroughs, and they, they voted against. it. There them. are more Jews in New York City than in Jerusalem and Tel Aviv combined, and here it is. They're basically saying no. And Jewish Hatred Day. Well,
3: I understand we have. I understand we have the borough president of Staten Island on. Yeah, we do. We got Vito Fisella who's joining us now. Hey, Vito, how are you?
4: I am wonderful. Rita, John, Curtis, and Rudy, and Judge, and everybody else who may be hiding under the table in the studio. I say hello. V- Vito, I was going to come
1: to Staten Island all three days for the ferry Hawks, and it rained for three days.
3: But <laughs> you made it for Friday night for the opening. I was night. You were there. Well, Left, so we need to take lost.
4: a rain check on that one, John, well, so we'll was, get back there. There
3: was a lot of rain. Yeah, and by the way, we were in the Greek parade over the weekend. I have I have a parade hair today, as you can tell. It was it was like tsunami, and I was like, John, is it still going on? He said, the Greeks always go. I'm like, all right, That's we're going to be there. You
4: can't hold the Greeks back, no way. And by <laughs> the way, with respect to May Day, actually, Hitler, 90 years ago today, actually tried to co-opt. May Day and use it as a a Nazi, if you will, uh, day to begin a day of hate. So ninety years ago today, Hitler joined the parade. So those
1: people, those people watching at NYU today for May Day, they're pro Hitler.
4: I'm not saying that. I'm saying that it's got a history of, uh, let's call it rough edges. If you, Hitler was one of the worst human beings in the history of mankind and took May Day to make it a day of hatred. He killed, his human, way of beings with,
3: so, he killed human beings without remorse.
4: Yeah, he was. The devil incarnate, as they say.
3: It's amazing. You know, Vito, um, there's all this stuff. You've been all over the place over the weekend, um, mm. particularly about saying, hey, cops, if you don't want to have them here in New York City, basically in Manhattan, uh, you know, bring them to the other borough. Bring them to the great borough of Staten Island. Talk about that.
4: Well, yeah, I mean, local uh, a couple of city council members, Joe Borelli and David Carr and myself, you know, there's been a lot of chatter over the last few years, defund the police, the police are bad, police are evil, we don't want them, we don't have them. And on Staten Island, we actually worship and value the services of the New York City Police Department and what they do and try to keep us safe, the city, especially the 500,000 people on Staten Island, so a very simple win-win situation for those who don't want police officers in their council district or in their communities, we say we would welcome them with open arms to Staten Island to help keep Staten Island safer uh, and, and, and a better place Rita, to live. And it's that's a, very a great
1: p- idea. You know what I suggest? What's we that? got fifty-one council members. This, mm-hmm. the, the ones that are going a vote to defund the police, let's defund. Let's take the police officers out of that district, and uh, because of uh, you know, defund the district.
4: Yeah, who they if you want to stand right. up and jump up and down and say you don't want the police or the police are bad, or the police are evil, that's fine. You can, you, this is America. You have every right to do so. Yeah. We have about 36,000 police officers in city.
1: Well, let's the make city. sure we let everybody know uh, before November's election, how the city council people who want to defund the police and want to reduce the amount of money on, to keep people safe, who they are.
3: Yeah, absolutely.
1: By the way,
2: Curtis Curtis Curtis, and I talked the other day about
3: Tiffany Caban. This goes right to it. Tell us real quick, Curtis. This is wild about what Tiffany Caban put on her social media. Yeah,
2: two weeks ago in Atlas Park, right in the heart of Astoria, AOC, the queen of all the socialists, summoned all the socialists from uh, New York City together, and she declared Astoria the People's Republic of Astoria. We don't want police. This is a no police zone. Don't call 911 if you have to call 311. And it is spread into other socialist led areas of New York City. And Tiffany Caban, uh, she is the one who actually gave out pamphlets at taxpayers' expense at schools to children telling them not to listen to the police. You shouldn't be a police officer. They're racist. They're going to target you. In fact, when you see the police, just run away from them. have nothing to do with them. And we're paying for this crap.
3: We're paying for this crap.
5: uh, Judge Weinberg. And don't forget, it's the same Tiffany Caban who ran for Queens district attorney against Belinda Katz and came with a hair's breadth of winning the district attorney's office. So if you think DAs are bad now in this city. Just imagine if you had a crazy socialist like Tiffany Caban running the DA's
3: office. Yeah, Go ahead, Vito. Your response to all of this. This is so crazy. Well, I mean, we, we still
4: got... Uh, there's no place like WABC, John and Margo and the whole band there who've been championing to keep New York City the safest place it can be. And there are those, like some of these individuals, who live in another world, I think, who feel that defunding the police is a good idea. I think it's the dumbest idea I've ever heard. You even had the Staten Island District Attorney, who's a Democrat, on your show last week right, John, saying even bail reform is not going far enough because they're arresting these folks, they know who the people are, Uh, they're they're committing crimes 10, 20, 30 times, and they're out on the street by 5 o'clock. I mean, how is that logical and sane? So the more pressure we can keep keep on these legislators to bring about reasonable, as you say, common sense legislation just to keep New York City and Staten Island safe. That's all we want.
6: Vito, this is Rudy, um, and, Rudy. And, and I'll address this to Curtis and the judge also. I mean, what are these people thinking about? I mean, I, I try to find common ground when I disagree with somebody, but
5: I can't even get There's, close. What are they Mr. Deputy Mayor, there is no common ground with insanity. Let the record be right. clear. Well, there is a there
4: is situations, unfortunately, we still would be the safest big city in America of anybody over, uh, any city over 100,000 people, and we want to keep it that way and make it better. But when you are tying the police officers' hands and saying, even if you arrest this guy who throws a brick through somebody's window, or causes harm in some sort of way, and the guy is out on the street by 5 o'clock, what signal does it send that guy? Yeah. He can do whatever he wants, yeah. and I mean, he knows but, there's no... Well,
2: Rudy, Rudy, Washington, I'll answer your question. Okay. They, they have a goal here. Uh, You see that by people fleeing New York City. They take over more and more areas from the city that is the epicenter of capitalism in the world. It becomes the epicenter of socialism. They want to take over our city, and they've got
6: a plan to do it. I mean, speaking of uh, Caban, if you remember, you know, de Blasio was putting forth a plan to close Rikers Island and build 1,000 beds in each borough, four boroughs. She was against 1,000 beds. And wanted to close, right, because yep, uh, they want
2: uh, the criminals to run free, which will mean homeowners, especially and business owners, will flee in mass, even in greater, greater numbers than now.
4: But this- so the, the, the trade should be this. If they don't want the police officers in their council district, send them to us, and we'll send all the criminals to them. You know, I don't know I mean if that's what they no, want. I, I just to want to know, uh, it, or, uh,
1: if people come in from New Jersey to commit crimes in New York, uh, do we let them go home?
4: <laughs> no, and that's a problem. We let I mean, everybody go uh, in <laughs> um, Grand larceny of uh, stolen cars is a big issue, not just around here, but throughout New Jersey. But many of the c- crimes that are committed on Staten Island of stolen cars, frankly, are individuals from New Jersey. And it's 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 become a circus of sorts because it's very difficult to g- chase them and get them once they go over the bridge.
5: And that's, by the way, just so you know, there's a, th- a whole rash of card jackings. And Grand Larceny Thefts Veto mm-hmm. in Long Island, and guess where they yes. came from? New Jersey.
1: Veto. Right. Well, you you, uh, you want to stay on? Stay on. I understand Melissa DeRosa is calling in uh, sure. Governor Cuomo's uh, uh, aide and uh, a secretary to the governor, which means almost chief of staff. Yeah, I was going to say. Uh, and she's going to report on what the heck is going on in Albany because they're supposed
7: to vote on it today. Melissa, welcome to the show. What's going on? Hey, guys. Great to be back. So, you know, they are, the voting is underway in Albany. They printed a couple of the bills last night. There's still a couple left outstanding. And the way that this works is, generally speaking, once you get a final, final agreement, you start printing the bills and then you save all the controversial policy items and you put them into one bill and you make it sort of impossible for people to vote no. So you put it in with education funding, because otherwise, when you run your opponents can say you voted against billions of dollars in education. So that is the last bill that has not been printed yet. That's going to be the alpha bill. And according so that's the to, game they play. Yeah. And it's a big game. So, yeah, that's right. And they're going to put that in. And so that will likely be voted on tomorrow. At least that's their goal. The last extender, which keeps the state running, runs out tomorrow at noon. So it's sort of a mad scramble. And, you know, it's, it's both dysfunctional and fascinating in, in the way that Albany works, which is that that bill contains the bail language, which no one's seen, you know, which has been described in the press, but no one's actually seen the language that will go in that bill um, and a number of these other sort of controversial issues. And the governor will give what's called a message of necessity, which sort of waves this three day waiting period because you're supposed to wait three days from a bill's introduction to, to voting but they're going to waive that. So essentially people will be voting on something the press hasn't seen, the public hasn't seen, and many of the legislators themselves haven't seen. So
1: it's, a, it's so, like voting at 3 o'clock in the morning. Nobody's going to see it. Just You're just going to vote for
5: it. It's a Nancy Pelosi special. That's what I'm saying. You I have to, to it, pass yeah? it so you can see what's in it. That's all.
7: It's all, you know, it's, it's, it's something that's, you know, one of these strategies as old as time because the fear is the longer you have the language hanging out there, the press scrutinizes it, the public scrutinizes it all of a sudden it drums up negativity, and so you don't want to start losing votes, so you just ram it through as quickly as possible. Uh-huh. So that will happen likely tomorrow, and then, you know, we'll put this completely dysfunctional budget behind us, and New Yorkers will be left to literally... Are we, we going to be safer,
1: cap. or are we going to not be safe?
7: I mean, look, John, It's the, the conversation around safety in New York City, I think, has been sort of cheapened by being reduced to bail. I think that bail has sort of become... The scapegoat, and I'm not saying that that may play a role, may not play a role. It depends on the numbers that you look at, but I don't think if I don't think this bail bill is going to do anything to put a dent in public safety in New York City. And Judge
3: Weinberg's I mean, shaking his head because no, it seems like it's a drop in the bucket. No, listen, it's
5: a it, is it was a, a ridiculous bill when it was passed. It has been a ridiculous bill. Every time they amended it, this is one more ridiculous bill. They have to give judges discretion to hold everybody in who's a threat to public safety. End of story. Forty nine states no, do it that I, way. I
7: don't disagree with you. I think that I think that you know giving judges the dangerousness standard, which we had proposed the first time and did not get the first time around. We've heard from the public loud and clear. We've heard from the judges and the prosecutors. That's what people want. And frankly, it's what every other state in the country that has cashless bail does. And so that should have been what they did. And what's amazing to me is Hoco held up the budget. We're now a month late. This is the latest budget in a decade. So she's now, you know, given the pay raise away for free she was the first governor in the history to get you know, blown up on her Court of Appeals nominee. And she's now the decade latest budget in New York State history. And what does she have to show for it? It's like she held it open for so long, trying to look tough and say she's not going to walk away without bail. But what she walked away with on bail was a drop in the bucket. So amazingly, you know, I think she's going to end up having pissed everybody off because the left is angry that they're doing anything at all. And prosecutors and I think judges are going to say this isn't good enough. And I think at the end of the day, the public will react that way, too. So she's going to get no political benefit no policy benefit, and she will have held this budget out for a month longer than she should have. That's amazing, after uh, all that.
1: Well, I guess we have to wait till they pass it so we can find out what's in it. Yeah, just like Nancy Pelosi, (laughs) exactly.
5: Just like the members of the legislature that have to pass it first. Uh, Any any questions from
6: Melissa before we go for a break,
1: guys? Uh, Anything real quick?
6: Well, I would just say, if I had to guess, I would say, you know, they're hiding this, so it's not good. Yeah, it isn't good. If it was good, they would show you.
3: Yeah, you're right. That's a great That's a great point. Uh, clearly, it is going to be a drop. After all this, after all the yeah. bargaining chips she gave up, John, that's a shame. A month. Yes. And then, Jur- and then Judge- nothing
7: on housing, yeah. and she raised, you know, she's raising taxes on businesses in the five boroughs. And so I think at the end of this, it's not going to be good. There's going to be no political benefit coming out of this for her after this fight. And I think she, if it was possible, she is further weakened.
4: Uh, Vito, any uh, anything? I would just simply say that this is not unique to Albany. You know, I served in Congress for a number of years, and what they would do more and more often was just consolidate all the appropriations bills, which are the spending bills, into one big monster they call it an omnibus, and would force members to vote on a bunch of garbage, Uh and. Again, with that, as Marissa said, to, to encourage or incite fear into a member to, to vote against it. I voted against most of them because I would say, listen, I'm not voting for the garbage. I'll take the good stuff, but the garbage, you can keep it. If you're forcing me to choose, I'll just vote against it and have to explain to the constituents that I don't think they deserve this. So it's not unique to Albany. It's becoming much more of a, a pastime in legislative bodies to do these types of things, and I don't think it's, I don't think it's good policy at all.
3: Curtis, anything? Yeah, real quick, Curtis.
2: Yeah, obviously they think people are stupid and the media is not here to tell us what's in the bills. So I didn't know this was a fiefdom. I didn't know that this is royalty. I thought we elect them and they have to report to us. They're our servants. But... I guess the servants always rebel and decide they are the kings and queens. Screw you. There's no term limits. <laughs> you, There's nothing you can do. That's
3: thank a good May Day resolution. Thank, <laughs> thank you, Melissa.
1: Thank you, Vito. We're going to have to take a break right now. We'll catch up with you guys real soon again. Let's take that break, and uh, uh,
3: we'll be right back. Yep, we got a lot.
0: A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katz and Rita Cosby. Katz and Cosby on 77 WABC.
3: And welcome back to Cats and Cosby. Well, everybody's talking about electric vehicles. And who knows it better than the CFO of Florida, who joins us now, the great Jimmy Petronas, who owns a big restaurant down there, too, as well. Jimmy, great to have you back here on Cats and Cosby.
8: Thank you for having me.
3: You know, I want to ask you uh, first your thoughts about EVs, especially these batteries exploding. And, you know, we were talking the other day, John, you made a lot of headlines with your interview with Joni Ernst, who talked about electric vehicles that the Biden administration wants to bring in for the military. Is that not incredible, Jimmy?
8: So uh, there, there are unintended consequences that have gone back with this technology. Yeah, I can see some of the, the, the fantastic pros about them. But I tell you, some of the downsides of how uh, dangerous lithium-ion batteries can be when they are uh, mishandled are catastrophic. I mean, these things, once they hit the ignition point, Even submerged underwater, they don't go out. They, they simply have to burn until there's no fuel left. So, I mean, I just, God forbid if these were in a parking garage, uh, you think of all the other, uh, catastrophic, uh, just the, the, the cascade of effects where if a car caught on fire, then what it does to every other car connected to it, maybe it's a gas car, then it explodes and then that takes on a whole nother set of Disastrous so, so uh, Jim,
5: it's uh, it's Judge Richard Weinberg. Good to talk to you again. So, in other hey, words, Judge. I have I have to worry about my parking garage in my building that an electric car explodes and then catches fire and burns down a whole multi-family building. Is that right?
8: It, it, it totally could. And, and so, here's the sad thing, Judge. Let's say if your EV caught fire in your parking garage. Oh man! Thank God there's a sprinkler over it. You know what? The sprinkler can't do anything. All the sprinkler does is pour water on it. It's not going to stop the fire. A good friend of mine was a Navy SEAL, and he told me, he says Jimmy, he says I've been hearing you talk about the uh, about the lithium ion batteries. He says our mini subs, when I was in the Navy, use these things. When our mini subs would catch fire, you know we do. He said we would sink them and we would just let them burn for the next three days. And then after those three days, then we'd go we'd go and recover them because uh, hey, once they
6: start, you can't stop them. Jimmy, this is Rudy Washington. Uh, I read today hey, I read today in the news. That we have a problem with these little motorized bikes and delivery, they're they're discarding their lithium batteries into the sanitation system, and at least four or five garbage trucks have caught fire.
8: So what 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 you're seeing happen is what we have um, a lot of times when you have a a, a catastrophic event in a fire. Um, people typically they'll, they'll go to sleep and they'll fall asleep over their phone or their iPad, and as soon as it catches. Uh, it gets hot from that fire, then it hits the mattress and burns. It's no different. You think about that same battery, what it does with all the flammable materials, that end up in a garbage uh, garbage truck. And so that, that compacting energy of the hydraulics of the compact on the, the garbage truck is going to compromise the battery. So, I mean, you know, it's just uh, you can't throw these things away like normal. They have to go to to disposal sites that handle them in a way where it doesn't affect and create other dangerous. Uh,
1: I know New York. New York just issued an alert on it. I think our uh, fire commissioner says that uh, uh, she's afraid for some of our uh, sanitation trucks that people are just going to throw those batteries in the sanitation trucks.
8: Well, I'm, and I'm glad. I'm glad that she's taken the interest in wanting to look out for her first responders because you know once the garbage truck catches on fire, what what the heck are you going to do? I mean, uh, it, it's just uh, to me, this is, this is technology that is not fully vetted with solutions on how to handle it safely in the case of an accident, plain and simple.
1: Now, let me ask you, if I have the house next door to my neighbor that has an electric car and his house burned down and burns down my car, do I, is he supposed to insure me?
8: That's what should be the case. <laughs> what you would have is if, if and we had a similar set of circumstances down in Fort Myers Beach It was on Captiva Island. You had a house that had three uh, EVs in it. One of the EVs caught fire uh, because of salt water. That then burned that house down, and it burned the house next door to it. So technically, uh, the house that survived has a lien of subrogation against the insurance of the house that had the EV that caught fire in it.
1: Well, I I think the insurance industry, does the insurance industry report to you uh, in Florida? It does. So a,
8: a, a number of different elements of it report to me. The insurance commissioner reports to me and the governor. Uh, but I do all insurance fraud. I do all arson investigations. I do. I'm the bomb squad for the state. So uh, I got you know what? I got a really cool job. I really do. Uh, but, you know, but these are th- this to me, this technology is, is is not fully baked. We saw the vulnerabilities of it with Hurricane Ian, with the flood event. Uh, You you may not necessarily see it in a freshwater event like you see in a saltwater event simply because of the heavy metals and mineral content that saltwater has.
3: Well, Jimmy, we are really grateful to have you here. Thank you so much for being with us. Uh, Jimmy Petronas, the CFO of Florida.
1: Catch up again real soon because there's a lot more to talk about. This is going to be a bigger issue than uh,
3: we think. Huge issue. Thank you. Thank you, you, Mr.
8: John, for putting a light on it.
3: God bless you. Thank you. Now let's go to Charlie Gasparino, because huge news in the economy, and especially now First Republic Bank uh, has, of course, been <laughs> taken over by J.P. Morgan, all the assets to J.P. Morgan, uh, Charlie Gasparino of Fox Business. What, what was your reaction to this, and what does it mean?
9: Well, um, I wasn't surprised. I mean, I don't think a lot of people were. I, last Monday, I reported on Liz Clayman's show on Fox Business that uh that they were likely headed for a receivership according to the bankers involved in in the initial bailout attempts uh that that was a scoop no doubt the stock went down on that uh i wasn't sure it was going to happen over the next couple of days but you know listen as this thing as more people got got wind of just how bad the situation at first republic was it was just a, a fait accompli and then the stock started selling off and you know when, when your stock goes down to like two and you have certain amount of liabilities. You know, you're technically insolvent, and I I think that's kind of like where where they were with this. So they had a fast, they had to take it over. But again, they had a long time to prepare because remember this thing, this thing had bailouts a month ago or two months ago, and then it came back, and and then you know things got progressively worse. The, the real question is, is there you know more? Are there more yeah. out there? And I I think there are. I mean, it depends on who you talk to. Jamie Dimon today seemed to suggest. He doesn't think so. He thinks this is kind of taps it for a while. Um, I talk to other people who study bank balance sheets and they're telling me there's at least two dozen out there that have similar characteristics. Uh, Remember, banking is a confidence game. So if you're worried that your bank holds a lot of crummy real estate, particularly commercial real estate, which is, you know, not doing well right now, uh, you know, there could be, people that pull money from these banks and that could cause a bank run. And if they have the similar characteristics of these other banks, including, you know, the underwater uh, capital uh, assets that everybody has on top of the fact that you have a lot of loans in the commercial real estate and real estate uh, area that, that may not be doing well. You know, you, you, you can have like more, (laughs) more, more government takeovers, but again, a lot of this is on confidence. Um, I, I kind of think that first Republic, if, if they did lose the confidence of their investor base, they or, or their depositor base—that's what it was. And you know, people were pulling money out. You know, they might have survived. I don't, I don't know their balance sheet that well, but people who looked at it said it was crummy, but it wasn't like you know, it wasn't well, Lehman Brothers crummy. So I it, did. You know? It's right. I,
1: You know, Charlie, I did business with both Signature Bank and uh, both uh, First Republic, and they both were. Well, First Republic had has great assets. I don't see any problem with the assets at all, but they lost the confidence and they lost deposits. But I think the fed and the treasury should have done a better job than just wiping out the entire bank.
9: Well, the bottom line, but the problem is John, Listen, I'm I'm not, I'm not in the business of defending Janet Yellen. I wrote a column in Sunday's post, which basically said how inept she's been and both her and the, and the, the rest of the banking regulators that said, um, There's no – there's nothing else you can really do if the bank is technically insolvent. I mean, it's either you take it over and you wipe out the shareholders or, you know, if it's insolvent, right, if if the stock goes to one – and um, no one's buying the stock. It has it, it. It basically gets delisted from every exchange. People won't invest in it, and no one's going to keep their money at a bank like that. So, so it implodes. And I think that I don't think they had much choice, to be honest yeah. with you, at this point. So, you
6: know. so, Charlie, before you run, this is Rudy Washington. Uh, the feds, what are the Feds going to do in the next couple of days? What's baked into know, the market?
3: I, oh, I, if they're going to raise interest know, what, what, rates what,
6: what,
9: or not? Federal, yeah, I mean, I think they have to one more time. Um, I, you know, the Fed's in a, in a difficult position here because, you know, there's a lot of stress in the banking system. Yes. And more banks could go under. But we still have inflation and it's still sticky. And, uh, you know, it's nowhere near the target. So if, if you believe they're going to keep to the target, there's at least one, maybe probably two more. Larry Fink thinks it could be three more. Ooh, uh, you know, the head of BlackRock and he's a bond market expert. So, um, you know, i find it i think we're going to get some language though that suggests they you know they may they may pause just to keep just to just to make the, the markets just to throw bones at a bone to the market but if if inflation stays at four percent and there's reasons to believe it's still i don't i don't
1: want to i don't want to complain I don't want to say the same old, like a, i feel like a broken record you bring down the price of oil inflation goes away
3: but they're not yeah, but doing the that price, they're not the Real quick, the Charlie.
9: Oil is, the price of oil is down, and we still have inflation. Yeah, I mean, it's bet you know that's the problem when it gets embedded in the system like ours. When that happens, you have you know it's, it gets sticky, and you know the wages are are sticky on the way down, and. It it just it's it's a it's a real mess. They they
3: spend so much money. It is a mess. Well, Charlie Gasparino, thank you very much for being here, my friend, on Cats and Cosby. And everybody, stay with us. Ron Johnson, Senator Ron Johnson, coming up, talking about Tony Blinken. You don't want to miss that. And then we have the great Bill O'Reilly. Stay with us here on Cats and Cosby.
0: You're commuting and Cosby. Now, here's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby on 77 WABC.
1: What is today is Senator Ron Johnson, middle America, Wisconsin, and he is one smart guy. He is uh, on the Committee of Homeland Security, Governmental Affairs, Subcommittee on Investigations, and in uh, Committee on the Foreign Relations Committee. Uh, Senator, uh, I've seen you in the last few days, and you were very upset and you were up in arms about what's going on with Secretary uh, Blinken. Uh, give us the American people don't know details. Give us the big picture.
10: Sure. Well, because good work by the house Republicans, Jim Jordan, James Comer, we now know that uh, Anthony Blinken, uh, former deputy secretary of state under Obama, uh, then obviously it was key in, President Biden's election campaign, and as a member of that campaign, he is the guy that initiated the letter from 51 former intelligence officials that uh, claimed the Hunter Biden laptop had all the earmarks of a Russian information campaign. Now, this is uh, when some of those individuals, the intel community, had to know that the FBI already possessed uh, Hunter Biden's laptop. I mean, it's pretty pretty small little circle and. And so the FBI picked up Hunter's laptop in December 2019. And so that was an enormous fraud perpetrated on the American public. It certainly interfered in the 2020 election to a great extent than anything Russia ever could have hoped to accomplish in either 2016 or 2020. And now we know it's Anthony Blinken, our current Secretary of State. Is the one that initiated that fraud.
1: He so, orchestrated, in other words, history. he made the phone calls, or, or he had somebody make the right. phone calls to the 51 uh, uh, different uh, uh, yeah, his, security his, people.
10: His, his, his main contact was uh, Mike Morell, who was a former deputy uh, CIA director. Okay, again, some small, small little world here in, in terms of uh, uh, federal law enforcement and federal intel and all that type of thing. But again, we've got our own history with Anthony Blinken, because during our investigation of Hunter Biden 2019-2020, uh, of course, the, the Bidens wouldn't come in and do interviews, but we did get interviews with a number of people from the State Department, and that would have been Anthony Blinken. Uh, we had an interview schedule with uh, Mr. Blinken, but he never showed up. He canceled it. Uh, they won the election, obviously, because of that fraud. But then Anthony Blinken wanted to be Secretary of State, so he decided to finally sit down with us because he knew I'd be on Senate relations asking him the questions we would have asked him in, in an interview. So he sat down with my committee and he did a transcribed interview. And we, we were interested in the meeting he set up with Hunter Biden in, in uh, May of 2015. This was a uh, Hunter's been on the board recently for about a year. Uh, we've got George Kent talking about how the state firm was very concerned about how, how that looked the concept of interest uh, when we're trying to rid Ukraine of corruption. Um, But that meeting didn't occur because Bo Biden died three days later. But a meeting did occur in July of 2015. So we're asking Anthony Blinken about this. He claims that, well, all they talked about was Bo Biden's death, and we had no documentation to refute that. It's all a pretty sad story. But we did ask him, well, Mr. Blinken, how did you communicate with Hunter Biden? You know, well, hardly at all. He He was an acquaintance. Well, did you ever email or text him? And he point blank said no. Now, John, we have emails between Hunter Biden and Nancy Blinken. So he boldface lied to our committee. Why would he do that? I mean, what would be wrong to so, say, yeah, we emailed occasionally, but he didn't say that. He lied. And now we also know that his wife, whose name happens to be Evan Ryan, who'd, who'd made the connection, right? She also was working in the Obama State Department and pretty well acting as a conduit between Anthony Blinken and Hunter Biden using her personal email account, trying to set up, in one instance, a meeting between the Democrat lobbying firm for Burisma to the the Biden, to the Obama administration. So, again, now that we know no. that Anthony Blinken lied to us in his interview, we can't take any of his answers as truthful, and we need to follow up now. So during the his, campaign, his just...
1: I want all Americans to understand, during the campaign, Anthony Blinken called this uh, 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 ex- uh, Mike C- Morrell. Mike Morrell. Uh, who's, what title did he have at the time? He, he was deputy director of the CIA. Deputy yeah, director of the CIA and asked them to recruit other signatures on those 51 signatures. Now, uh, that is correct, Right.
10: Right, and so that was that fraud. That yes, the, you know Biden used in his debate with the with the Trump saying, "Oh, that that computer is Russian disinformation." And I understand so just Trump to make Senate. it
1: just to make it clear, uh, the the CIA station chief in Moscow refused to sign. Yep, that's true because they had no evidence that that was
10: Russian disinformation.
1: And so, so again,
10: that same same Anthony Blinken, who had been deputy secretary of state during Obama interviewed with us because we had a lot of questions back then when he was Deputy Secretary of State about Hunter Biden, Burisma, and Ukraine, and he lied to us.
1: And a few days later, and I understand a few days later uh, that it was Vice President Biden at the time was having a debate with uh, President Trump and Vice President Biden took out these 51 signatures, threw it out, and that made a big difference in the debate. Oh, and in the election.
10: Absolutely. You know, so he was able to use that to uh, basically lie to the American public that their laptop was supposedly a Russian disinformation campaign. And you combine that with the censorship on social media, um, the American public did not realize what a corrupt enterprise Biden Inc. was and unfortunately Biden got elected president and put us on this path to destruction.
1: Well, knowing that uh, President Biden right now does not really know a lot of things going on around him, uh, is, it, uh, is it, do you think, uh, I'm just asking an opinion, uh, you think he's guilty and he knew about it? Or I don't, or it's hard to believe, or the people around him just wanted to get him elected?
10: Well, Joe Biden was lying to us all through the campaign. He said he never talked to his son, Hunter, about his overseas business connections. We have pictures.
1: That's correct. Of That's
10: correct. Biden with those, you know, so, again, Joe Biden has lied repeatedly to the American public, and we've caught him in lie after lie after lie. He lied, obviously, that night on the stage. You know exactly what he knew about the laptop? Again, we don't know for sure, but I, I assume he
1: was lying. I think he knew. Right, where I mean, do we go Biden from I here? A heads up. Where do we go from here? I mean, uh, uh, Blinken is definitely the orchestrator. Uh, those people signed on because the the deputy CIA guy asked them to sign on on and believed him. Uh, The Moscow guy did not sign on. And then uh, Vice President Biden at the time used it during the debate. And the American people thought, okay, Trump is guilty. So where do we go from here? Well, we keep
10: peeling back layers of the onion. We keep revealing more and more truth as it surfaces. We keep connecting the dots as we did in this case when a, an email surfaced between Hunter Biden and Anthony Blinken. We go back to our transcribed interview and show that, and prove that he lied. I mean, again, it's a pretty little minor thing. I mean, well, why, why would he lie about emailing Hunter Biden yeah. unless he might have emailed him quite a bit about some pretty substantial things and he didn't want us asking for those emails, which could reveal things. So again, I, I don't know for sure, but we're going to continue to pursue this. Hopefully, the House can subpoena these things. If he doesn't turn them over voluntarily, and I have my doubts he will. So, again, this is, you know, investigations aren't easy, John. People that have done wrong, and Anthony Blinken has definitely done wrong, he's lied to Congress, he, you know, initiated that letter, they, they don't confess, you know, they don't give up their secrets. Uh, they don't yes. show proof of their wrongdoing. You just have to peel back the layer one, one, one layer at a time. Senator
1: Johnson, I think the American people want to hear the truth. Thank you so much for coming on and thank you for peeling, peeling, peeling those onions one by one and someday we'll get the truth. Thank you so much.
3: Thank you so much. Wow, John, that was a blockbuster interview with Ron Johnson, and we'll see where it goes, of course, with Tony Blinken. And joining us now, John, we've got the great Bill O'Reilly, mega best-selling author, of course, close to 20 million-plus in print of books, and, of course, the host of Common Sense right here on 77 WABC every weeknight, 9 to 10 p.m. And, uh, Bill, uh, I understand you've got some interesting stuff about uh, the media, uh, basically what ruining America.
11: Yeah, it's an interesting study that came out. The Associated Press and the Robert Kennedy Foundation uh, teamed up to study the media. And and when you do these kinds of studies, it's, it's different than a poll. You call people and then you interview folks and um, ask them a series of questions, whereas a poll is just like uh, one question or two. Who do you like better, uh, Trump or DeSantis, that kind of thing? So they came out with a poll and the majority of Americans, no surprise to anybody, um, feels that the media has been corrupted. They're not honest. They're presenting agenda. It's hard to get the reality and half of those studied or contributed to the study feel that America is harming democracy. So I was listening to you guys earlier about the uh, bill in Albany, um, that people don't even know the folks, us, we don't even know what they're going to vote on and they have to have it done by tomorrow morning. So what is that all about? Why wasn't that bill just released? Um, so everybody could see it. Where's the media demanding that? I haven't seen any media de- demanding that of you.
1: There's no Walter Cronkite left anymore, uh, Bill O'Reilly. Well,
11: feel that the editorial boards of the Albany Times Union, Newsday, the Syracuse paper, the Rochester paper, forget about the New York Times. We know what that is now. That's not a newspaper. It's a left-wing journal. But the New York Post, the, all of them could be screaming, look, we represent our readers who pay money um, to read the paper or to go online. And what are you doing? You're voting on a bill that nobody even knows what's in it. I, you know, And then when you get to that level of corruption, because that's what it is. These politicians, they're not looking out for anybody but themselves. But the is role is to nail these people to the wall when they do that.
3: Well, you know what, Bill, that I thought about here. And, Bill, you know, I thought about White House Correspondents Dinner this weekend. There was this moment with Joe Biden. He's in the room and he said, uh, I'm going to be running for reelection. And there were people clapping in the room. And I thought there's of something course. kind of odd about that, Bill. You know,
11: the biggest the biggest amount of applause was when Biden dropped the line that Fox News is owned by Dominion. He set it up with CNN is owned by this person, uh, MSNBC is owned by Comcast, and Fox News is uh, owned by Dominion. Huge laugh, huge applause.
10: The big and surprise. I know
11: those people, Rita, I know them all. Yep. Okay. I mean, I've been around uh, since U.S. Grant. I've been around a long
1: time. (laughs) You and Cindy.
11: Well, Cindy's got me, but anyway,
1: none Uh, of these people. The big surprise in my Trump interview last week uh, was that uh, President Trump said that the uh, CEO of the Washington Post was the uh, CEO of the Reagan Library. Yeah, Fred Ryan.
11: Hi, I believe Ryan, Ryan, no, you're right, you're right. Okay, so, right, it, it's all incestuous proof. Everybody in Washington, there's a difference here, too. It's an interesting difference. Everybody in Washington socializes with each other. And if you are not woke, you are not invited. Okay, same thing in L.A., in Hollywood. If you're not woke, you're not going to the soirees. You will never be invited. Now, in New York, it's a little bit different because uh, we went to the inner circle dinner um, a couple of weeks ago. And there w- it wasn't, you know, a liberal gab fest there. There were a whole bunch of different points of view, but not in Washington and not in Hollywood. It's a monolithic thing there. And that is part of the corruption that we're seeing. But I can't tell you how angry it makes me, somebody who worked at Channel 2 as a local reporter on the street, all right, to see what the news agencies in New York City and the rest of the state are allowing without any indignation, without any editorializing, they're just allowing it. And these people in Albany know they can get away with it. And Biden knows he can get away with it. And that emboldens them. And that's why this study showed that Americans are wise enough
9: to it.
5: Bill, it's uh, it's Richard Weinberg. So I have to raise this question. Then why do we have a First amendment Protection for freedom of the press?
11: Well, I mean, look. Back in the uh, when the Constitution was being forged, the Founding Fathers understood the totalitarian nature of the king, George, because they fought against him. And in England, there was no free press. It was what the king said. The king did what the king wanted. As Mel Brooks said, it's good that be king. <laughs> so they were very sensitive to that and didn't want any kind of president or any kind of leader to not have scrutiny. But it's just evolved that the the freedoms that were given to us in the the, uh, journalism world have been corrupted by money. So again, if you are not woke, you are not hired at the New York Times. You cannot work there. And this gets out into the agencies. Why do you think Fox got in so much trouble? Because unlike six years ago when I was sitting there at eight o'clock, they went almost a hundred percent for the conservative audience. We never did that. I'm a traditional guy, but I didn't pander to anybody. But when I left, they had to recover audience, and that's what they decided to do. So the corruption seeped in. And it cost them $800 million. And it's going to cost them a lot more because this is not over at five. So
1: what what, what are they going to do with uh, with Tucker's position? Have they figured it out yet?
11: Figured it out? There's nobody there. That That's what they figured out. There's no bench. I feel sorry for this guy coming in tonight, uh, substitute a young
3: guy. Yeah, La- Lawrence, right? It's Lawrence O'Donnell, I think, right? It was no, Lawrence, no, 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 Jones, Lawrence, Lawrence Jones. Lawrence Jones. John
11: O'Donnell he's the cool sure.
3: Lawrence Jones, Lawrence Jones, Lawrence Jones. Lawrence Jones by the way, Bill, did he, you see please. they've lost over a million audience? That's huge and and yeah I mean, it was an enormous when when you left Bill. I mean you what I loved about you, Bill, is and you and I I was on your show many a time and and always loved it. you always were unpredictable. you were independent and and there was that spirit I think about Tucker, you're right. I don't know how they're going to recover.
11: They're not. This guy, Lawrence Jones, is a good guy. He's a young guy. But he's going to get whacked. When Carlson took over for me in 2017, he lost a million, 200,000 viewers for two years. And then he decided to do what Rush Limbaugh did, program for conservatives, and he got back some of that audience. But now... They don't have anybody to put at 8 o'clock, and they'll continue to hemorrhage viewers. And it's not like there's a lot of people that they can hire. They're just not around.
3: Well, Bill O'Reilly, thank you. Thank you, Bill O'Reilly. What are you going to talk about at 9 o'clock tonight?
11: You know, we got Chris Cuomo on, and that's worth it, boy. You listen to this interview.
1: By the, well, the way, I've be seen listening you. to that because well, between Cuomo, you and Chris Cuomo,
3: W-A-B-C.
1: Th- between you and Chris Cuomo, that's going to be entertaining. You're going to go at it.
3: Yeah, they were on News Nation last
1: week. You guys were Blockbuster. It was great, Bill. <laughs> Thank you so much, and uh, we'll catch up with you again real soon. Uh, what do we stand for, guys? true oh, Truth, truth. justice, just and the American, American way. And, uh, God bless America.